is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me as the other host, Keith Black Trudeau. Welcome back. And we've got another great guest today, Matt Issa. Matt, thanks for coming on, man. We're happy to have you. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, it feels good to talk to people again. I feel like the playoffs is a really solitary time. You're just writing, a lot of writing, a lot of watching. So it's cool to, to speak to human beings again. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I bet you've been ex- extremely busy. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the playoffs, let's. I, I, before we get into today's topic, which is the 2006 NBA redraft, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the playoffs. It's just been kind of an interesting thing. The Lakers can't be this good. All right, that's really where I want to start. This just because is the West really this bad? I, I just can't. I can't imagine a world where this Lakers team makes the Western Conference Finals. I mean, if you would have told me this at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have believed you. But it, it seems like the, they're one game away. They, it could happen. It could happen, but I, I think your your second point was probably the more important one. But the Western Conference is not very good this season. I, I think if you if you gave Kevin Durant and Devin Booker an entire season to to play together, get used to each other. I think maybe that changes. Maybe Phoenix is the the powerhouse that's coming out of this conference. Uh, but it, right now, it's just every single team that's that's still alive in the West has something wrong with them. And, and the Lakers are kind of it, it's sort of weird to say that they're the most stable team. Uh, I, I think Denver is, but Denver's defense just comes and goes sometimes. I I, I don't like. I, I think they're the best team uh, of the four remaining in the West. It, it's just I have a hard time trusting. Uh, their defense because they just go through stretches where they don't get back on defense. Uh, Jokic gets lost sometimes and, and they, they'll give up a 35 point quarter. I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I think Denver from t- top to bottom should win the, the championship. I think they're that good. I, I just worry about their consistency that they've shown so far. Matt, your thoughts. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, Every team is, yeah, like, I think I love it. I actually, I love it. I don't think I love it. I love that every team is um, flawed to a degree. I, uh, I do worry. I echo Keith's sentiments about worrying about Denver's defense. I think in this series against the Suns, they've done a, a pretty good job by my eye. I think that um, coach Michael Malone has done a really good job just getting these guys to buy in. I think that's a huge part. And then they have a couple of really versatile chess pieces on that side of the ball. But I think that, I mean, it's just been some in the two wins, um, the Suns had. I think there was some incredible shot making from just yeah. some incredibly talented players, and there's just only so much a defense can do about it. But I do agree that that's kind of worrisome. I think I'm still until until they find a way to eliminate themselves. I still think the Boston Celtics are the best team in the NBA. The problem is like they 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 can beat anyone, and in, including themselves is the thing. They can like beat themselves just because like I I don't know. That's they're like my big question mark. I'm trying to trying to get a read on them, just trying to figure out why they can't. Put it together 48 minutes. If we had to guess yeah. today, it's 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 Sixers Nuggets, right? I mean, that's that's the final well, series. That's the finals I want to see so badly. Yes, Embiid versus Embiid and Jokic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You guys don't want the, the Heat and the Lakers? 
no, not again. again. I don't want to rematch. The was bad Have we ever had like um the two like great big men go toe to toe in the finals like that? I'm trying to think in my head because usually they're on the same side of the bracket when it happens. Like when there's two like great big about men. The last time this has happened, Shaq yeah. and Akeem. Yeah, you're you're no uh yeah Shaq and Hakeem and then Patrick Ewing and Hakeem the year before that ninety four yeah. and ninety five. The Shaq and Hakeem one I guess is a little bit different because Shaq hadn't like fully formed. Well, yeah, he was still a legit you know yeah. All NBA. He wasn't oh, as yeah, good I, as he was going to be, but he was still yeah. good enough to be arguably the best player in the East that season. Yeah, I agree. Hakeem yeah. did handle them. And then, and then prior to that, it was another twenty some because it was you're talking Wilt and Bill Russell. Mm-hmm. Is probably the last time before that those two mid nineties where the two best players on both teams were centers. Like it does not happen very often. No. So that yeah, I guess that would be really cool. Even though I can't, there's something like so unesthetically pleasing about those seventy sixers jerseys. I know it's a weird thing for me to say as like a basketball analyst. Like that's my analysis here. I don't want to see the Sixers in the finals because <laughs> I don't really like looking at their jerseys all that much. But hey, man, if you're gonna look at a screen for a couple hours, you might as well enjoy it. You know. They need to bring back the star jerseys. I don't know if you if you were you might be too young to remember these, Matt, or maybe maybe you're the same age as me. I don't know, but they had these jerseys that were like the stars that like rainbowed up into the mm-hmm. set. Yeah, those were no, those I, were my those favorite. Were legit. The early '90s ones. They only wore them for like two years, but I love those things. Yeah, it was really yeah. Good. I know like, you're talking like about some of the worst years of their franchise. I'm sorry, Matt. No, go ahead. I, I know what you're you talking like, about. I, I yeah, I call them the Sean Bradleys. Yep, Sean Bradley wore those. He had Barkley wore them for like half a season. Yeah, uh, Matt, to your, to your point about the Celtics, I've actually wondered that same thing the last couple of days. And I think it's just come down to it. The, the Celtics, as young as they are, because they're still a very young team, uh, comparatively to how most contenders are, I think they're kind of a victim of their own success, or they made deep playoff runs just about every year for the last five, six years. Like Jalen Brown has been on this team since what 2017, 18, and it, uh, Tatum the year after that. And I think that they've, I know they haven't won a championship, but it's almost like I think they're kind of like feeling worn down. And the Sixers, uh, on the other hand, they've never made a deep playoff run uh, since the mid 1980s when they had Moses Malone and Jarrell's Barkley. They haven't been back to the, no. No, I'm I'm missing that one Iverson year. I'm sorry. Yeah, they uh, went to the finals. Yeah. Case, none of these Sixers are used to making a finals run, so they're kind of seeing the Celtics not bring their usual intensity, and I think it's almost firing them up because this is the first time that I've seen the Sixers and Celtics, and I thought this the Sixers legitimately believed that they could beat them, and I, I thought that was on full display in Game Five, where just the Sixers came out like it was Game Seven of the finals. And the Celtics were like, oh, we've been through this a million times. It's almost like they, I don't know, they thought they were going to win. I, I don't want to say that because I'm I'm, t- I'm saying that they don't, they're not, their effort wasn't there. I just mentally, I think they're kind of out of gas. But we'll hey, we'll see tonight uh, if the Celtics are, are truly that team that everyone thought was going to win the championship this season. Because uh, this is their last chance. They're done if they lose tonight. All right. Well, now that we've uh, we've got that out of the way, let's get to our main topic today: the 2006 NBA draft. This is a fun one. This is a Matt Matt picked this one himself to to be on. Uh, nobody knows why because it's not a good draft. 
uh an interesting draft. yeah it's interesting it's it's this is not a deep one not a deep one at all matt why did you pick this one um I don't. I don't have a good reason for it. I, I guess I just wanted to talk about Jordan Farmar. You know, who, who, doesn't, love who doesn't love Jordan Farmar? Uh, he will. He will probably get picked today. Oh no, he is on my board. He will. If he, you guys he's on, on mine too. I will pick yep, him. He's yeah. on mine. Uh, Keith, before we start the draft, uh, news and notes, please. Uh, this the 2006 draft is mainly known for two things. Uh, the first being that this was the very first uh, draft of the one and done era, which we are currently in 17 years later, and we'll probably be here for another 17 years because I don't think the NBA or the Players Union has any interest in changing it. Uh, so this was the, the first year where you had guys essentially forced to go to college for, for one year and then coming out to the uh, NBA draft. Not that there were a lot of great prospects in this specific year. Uh, also, uh, this is the first and only draft to feature a European-born uh, number one draft pick, uh, which which is just mind-boggling to me. As many outstanding Hall of Fame caliber European players as we've had, uh, the fact that we've only ever had a draft where one has been the, the top prospect on the board, and it, for, for it to be this draft of all drafts uh, is kind of, uh, that, that's kind of head-scratching to me. Uh, but those are my uh, those are my notes for this 2006 draft. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into it then. The the first pick in the 2006 NBA redraft goes to me, and I will be selected for the Toronto Raptors. And I'm going to sprint right to the podium. I've known who I wanted to take since since we found out we were doing this one, and I'm sending Kyle Lowry to the Raptors Ooh. like eight years early. Uh, he's Mr. Raptor. Uh, I mean, that's that that's a nickname he he garnered there. He he helped this team win a championship. He was a yeah. big big part of that team. Uh, it did take him a little while to kind of find his footing in the league. He went through yeah. some time with with Memphis and uh, and the Rockets, but once he got to Toronto, man, it everything settled in. Uh, I don't know if that's the Dwayne Casey effect or or what it is, but like this guy, he, he he's a baller still in the league, playing with Miami in the playoffs right now. Obviously, he's on the down downturn at the moment, but uh, this Raptors team that that's going right now, they've got TJ Ford and Jose Calderon as their point cards, and they might think that those things are going to work out, but they are not. Uh, Calderon's going to be okay. TJ Ford is not. So Kyle Lowry is going to immediately get a, a spot on this team, and, and uh, he's going to become Mr. Raptor early. Maybe they don't ever lose him. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. I didn't think you would pick Kyle Lowry, but look, it was, I, it was either I him or Adam Morrison. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I Kyle Lowry, uh, it took him about fifteen years to grow on I me. Mean, I I just there was nothing aesthetically pleasing about his game. Uh, I didn't think he was it was very good when he was in Houston, and then Toronto surrendered a, a first round pick to get him. I I thought that was a mistake, and I, to be honest with you. He shut me up uh, it, in that championship run with uh, with Kawhi Leonard and with Nick Nurse coaching. He was just amazing, especially once they got to the finals. Yeah, I think Kyle Lowry's uh, body of work speaks for itself. I think he's a – I don't want to say he's a Hall of Fame or a Portland Hall of Fame player, but he's had that type of career where he has done everything you could possibly ask of a basketball player. Yeah, and I think it's also neat. He kind of restarts the uh, 
the Villanova pipeline to the NBA that's still going on right now. Uh, he, he never gets credited for that, but he was kind of like one of the first Villanova guys uh, of the string of Villanova guys that we've had in the, the 15 years since. Yeah, All right. is anyone speaking of, I don't know if um this is like a mainstream take. Um, I haven't heard it, but I'm also not really um on the web as much as I should be, but isn't it like, is it just me or does Jalen Brunson remind you a lot of Kyle Lowry? He does. I, I think Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson is almost like a power forward in a, in a five ten body. Like he, he, he's so crafty with the ball, like a little guy, but he's also like, he's physical. He's, he's one of the most physical. That's how Lowry uh, was. Sub, sub six. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. He's one of the more physical uh, sub six foot ba- basketball players I've ever seen. And if I were to compare him to anybody, it would be Kyle Lowry because he's very similar to that. Like he has this, you look at him and he's not that tall, but he's stocky. He's got that bulldog uh, defensive mentality. And Jalen Brunson's the same way. A lot of guys try to take advantage of him because of his height. It rarely ever works out. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, Jalen Brunson is is a really, really good comparison to Kyle Lowry. Uh, I think Jalen Brunson could, even with the money he's making and success he's had right now, I, I oof, it, could he have the kind of career that Kyle Lowry's had? That's that's still a steep climb. All right, so, and I'm going to get ahead of this. Uh, most of these picks in this draft, uh, the, the league was not as thrilled uh, with this 2006 draft classes. A lot of these teams traded either traded down or traded out of this uh, top 15 entirely. So. The, the first of which, uh, a team that traded down, the, the Chicago Bulls, had the number two pick. They are picking on behalf of the Portland Trailblazers uh, for the steep price of Victor Kriapa. Uh So, Matt, who do we have uh, for the Portland Trailblazers that, who are going through a really rough patch, a very rare yeah. rough patch for them? Um, I think this is going to be the first kind of spicy take of the – Little redraft. I'm gonna go with Paul Millsap over. Um, I'm sure you guys probably thought maybe like a Lamarcus Aldridge right here in that spot. My my take is so yeah, you get more like good years out of Aldridge, more consistency. But I just I think Millsap like when you get the full version of him, like he's like the perfect like uh one B. You know what I mean? I think like Atlanta that 2015 year. I think about it. And people are like, yeah, you know, you see they just didn't have, like, the the offensive ponies, like that, like, creator, I guess, who could hang with LeBron. And, like, Millsap can't be your number one guy on offense. But then at the same time, but he could be, like, an awesome number two because he fits so well alongside high-level talent. I think he's he was kind of like what the league was trending in, whereas Aldrich was kind of like a product of the time with that, like, classical low-post mid-range game I know he he ventures out to the three-point line and he has this like second career as like a center defensive anchor for the Spurs where he's actually like a really good rim protector but I credit some of that to Popovich and just his defensive tactics but uh, I'm getting I'm, getting, I'm going all over the place but um, Millsap I just love his versatility basically I love I love how complete his game was and I just I think where the league was going especially if you had like a really good team around him in like the mid-2010s I think he could be a high level contributor on a deep championship run and you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have as many constraints building your team. If you had a guy like Millsap as opposed to Aldridge, in my opinion. Interesting. 
Now, I'm, see, I'm, I'm trying to picture that 2010s um, Blazers lineup. That was what Dame um, was. Was it West Matt? No, it wasn't West Matthews at the two, was it? Yeah, was, yeah, it was West Matthews, Nick Batum, Aldridge. Okay, West Matthews and Nick Batum, and then at the four you had Aldridge, but now we're inserting Paul Millsap, and then at center it was uh, Robin Lopez, right? Yeah, something like it was always like a revolving door. It, it, was, it wasn't Bro, it was Robin Lopez. Yeah, so because I know because that team reached, uh, they got out of the first round at least once that I recall because they they mm-hmm. beat Dwight Howard that one year. Um, but that was mostly Lillard. Well, no, I, let, let me take that back because Lamarcus Aldridge, I, mean, I remember going nuts. Uh, but anyway, how do you see uh, Paul Millsap changing the dynamic of that team? Defensive versatility, um, I think more spacing. Um, like the thing is, like, yeah, we, I don't know if we'd fully gotten into the pace and space stuff in, uh, at this point, but like spacing has always mattered throughout NBA right. history. Um, teams have always done things like I used to just think about the 90s Utah Jazz all the like little empty side stuff they would do with Stockton and Malone to get them space to work like teams have always wanted to do that so I think you get more spacing because he you know he does add that three-point shot Um, again like I said more defensive versatility they kind of had two stiffs at the four and five and it wasn't as big of a deal at the time but like having Millsap I know like people have bad taste in their mouth about Millsap's defensive versatility after what happened last year 76ers but before that guy can move you know he can move around he was agile strong um I thought he was a solid passer for his size yeah just again like I said I just I love that versatility that he offered and even though I think Aldrich had skills like silver bullet skills that were just better than Millsap like I think Aldrich his best skill is better like he was better at his best skill than Millsap was I just prefer the versatility okay no I'm not I'm not arguing with I'm just curious what your what your thought process was oh yeah I wasn't trying, like but yeah, no, I, no. I think it's a, I think it's a fascinating uh, what if uh, trying to put Millsap on some of those Blazers teams because this spacing would be a lot. He was more mobile. Uh, he could. I, I don't want to say he had better range because mid range Aldridge is probably better, but Millsap could shoot the three, and that's kind of what made his whole career was his ability to step behind the three point line and still have those traditional power forward skills. But yeah, I, hey, I can't argue with uh, Millsap at two. Uh, number three, the Charlotte Bobcats. Uh, without further ado, I'm, I'm taking uh, the number one player on my board. It's hometown, Martin. hometown Charlotte Bobcats, right, Keith? Yep. Uh, did I say Char- I said Charlotte Bobcats, right? Yeah, it's your hometown team. Oh, well, the Bobcats, no, not the Hornets. Yeah, it's the Bobcats. I know. But I'm then, saying that you're a Bobcats fan. Yes, I, Charlotte is where I'm living right now, but I would never call them my hometown team. All right. Um, so, yeah, how does how does this affect uh, Charlotte? Well, one, they don't have a disaster of a draft pick in the mid, which they had just about every year in the mid 2000s. Uh, they they have a legitimate. I don't I don't know if I'd put him in the franchise tier, uh, but he is definitely the type of player that you can build with. Maybe not around. Uh, Marcus Aldridge, uh, as Matt mentioned before, he had some silver bullet skills. Uh, that mid range game, the the, the post ups, he had some some rim protection ability, but that wasn't his. It, it was the the sixteen eighteen feet all the way to the rim. Give him the ball, get out of his way. Uh, his his post fade was just a thing of beauty. He could shoot it over anybody, and, and he shot it with great efficiency. As Dwight Howard found out in the playoffs about. Eight years, eight nine years after this uh, draft, 
do I I don't know if it's going to get the Bobcats anywhere, but I know Larry Brown is on his way. He's going to whip this expansion team into shape. He's going to get them into the playoffs. I, I think they will certainly be much more competitive with Marcus Aldridge on their team. He does seem like the type of player that Larry Brown would uh, enjoy, uh, maybe not love, because he does have some defensive deficiencies away from the rim. I think it's the best pick that the Bobcats have made since they've become the Bobcats. I, I mean, like that's. I'll tell you what. I'm counting down the episodes until I can stop saying the word Bobcats. It just it makes me like physically ill. It's it's just <laughs> such a that whole era was just bad, and I had to live around it. it it's oof. all right. So uh, the number four pick. Uh, which did belong to the Blazers. Uh, they are now picking on behalf of the Chicago Bulls, uh, the Baby Bulls at this point. Uh, we are circle back around to Mike Payton. Who are we drafting? All right. Well, I'm going to do something that you guys might think is bad, uh, but I think. Okay. Look, I think I think this guy's the best guy in the entire draft. I think he's the best he's player in the entire draft. And I'm taking him, even though he only played six years in the league, I'm taking Brandon Roy here because he's the best player in this entire draft. No doubt about it. This guy would be he'd be an all-world all-star today if he were still playing. It's sad. It's yeah. it's truly tragic what happened to him. But before it happened, he was he was a dead eye shooter. Uh I could play the two, could play the to play small forward if he needed him to. Uh, I mean, clutch. Clutches can be. Uh, his three um, in the playoffs, I can't remember who they were playing, but I still remember it. I mean, it's an amazing moment in his career. Uh, but, yes, it, it did end too early, uh, and that sucks. But in our world, maybe maybe the uh, knee injuries and the knee problems, they, they don't happen, and, and he sticks around. Okay, so – you're, you are 100% accurate when you say that Brandon Roy is the most talented player in this draft. He is. Here's the thing. Every, every, all of us knew this in hindsight in 2006. Everybody, every GM, every fan watching TV that had followed college basketball in 2000, everybody knew that Brandon Roy was the best player in the draft, and he still went sixth. It's because there was no secret that he had major red flags about his, 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 it's not like he got injured once he got into the league. He had major red flags coming in. And I think it's incredibly tragic. It's <laughs> just incredibly tragic. A lot of people, I don't say a lot of people, but I think one of the more common comparisons for Kate Cunningham is, is Brandon Roy's type of game. Uh, the, the not overly athletic, uh, not too fast, uh, didn't explode to the rip, but he was just in control at all times. His his IQ was off the charts, had great size for a guard, almost never made a bad decision. It was he he was amazing just right away. And, and you mentioned that he only lasted six seasons. I mean five before he retired and then I had to unretire. But in, in those uh four seasons, uh what he was what? All NBA twice. He was rookie of the year. He was a three-time All-Star. All in that short, uh, that short time span. Uh, my my only, and I don't want to go on a long speech about your selection, uh, but my my only concern would be, I I think he needs to go to a a team that has a chance to win right away. 
because I, I don't know if he is any uh I don't know if he's any more successful on the the Bulls than he was on the Blazers. Because I don't know if the Bulls are in a I know they're good. I know they're they're a playoff caliber team. Uh, but given that they're already very guard heavy with Ben Gordon and Kirk Heinrich, like they're they needed big men, which is why they drafted Tyrus Thomas. And of course, none of us would draft Tyrus Thomas in a redraft. So you're I, you're kind of behind between a rock and a hard place here. I understand it, but yeah, I, I I'm just glad we can give Brandon Roy's flowers. Absolutely. I just I just wanted to say I got so excited when you um you made that because that was so my thinking going into this. I said you know Roy gives you the best peak, right? At all these guys. Oh yeah. But you're the way I did this, I'm sure this is, this is how you guys do it, but I just did it. Like I didn't do like the game of like, Oh, if he's on a different team, might've played longer. I just did like, this is what you're going to get from him. No matter where he goes, you're going to get those five years. This is the production you're going to get. And I think like, think about that 2007 bulls team. Was it the 2017 when they're number one in the league in defense with Ben Wallace? They pick up Ben um, Wallace. Or was it was 2008. I believe I no no. I believe you're, you're actually right. It was Ben Wallace's first year in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, out of all the teams that are picking in this top six or seven, like they had the the best chance in those four or five years of just, you know, be, being a sneaky good team, fi- like finding their way to the Eastern Conference. I know they were guard heavy, but like Roy is like an upgrade over Ben Gordon. Like he's the type, like, yeah. yeah. So like, and they were a defensively slanted team that he could anchor, like he could buoy with his offense. You know what I mean? Like kind of like in the mold of how the 76ers were with AI in a way where it's like, you have this guard who's like, probably not like the best offensive player in the league, but he's, he's a really good offensive player. He can kind of raise the floor of your offense and you have this great defense to fall back on. Like that's usually a recipe for like success, especially in the Eastern conference where you always kind of have teams like that make the Eastern conference finals or the finals. So that, that was kind of, I'm happy you did that, Mike. I think that was a great, great call. All right, so with the number five pick, we have the, uh, speaking of the baby bulls, we have the baby hawks coming up. Uh, they they already have a, a very young, uh, exciting team, uh, but they still have a, a couple of years of failure left before they're, they've got their team together. Uh, Matt, uh, who are we Who are we adding to this, this core group? All right, I'm going to get um, another. This might, maybe you guys are on the same page as me, maybe. I'm off base I, I here because I, I see a, a player here that would just be perfect. Well, the guy I'm picking, he um, he's a podcaster, and he <laughs> he may not be a podcaster very soon, depending on how his interview went a couple of days ago. But I'm gonna go with JJ Redick. Okay. Um, I uh, so I I think the two guys I was kind of juggling in my head here were Redick and Rondo. I get that Rondo theoretically had the better peak as an all-star I think a lot of Rondo's like stats were kind of juiced by you know the Rondo assists right it was like you know those very simple assists he would make I think that I think he was a great guard defender I think he was a great facilitate like his passing accuracy passing delivery the types of passes he could make were great but I don't think he was I think he was a little bit overrated as a creator because he wasn't he wasn't bending the defense he um he, you know, there was a lot of times he would drive to the rim. Guy wouldn't even be looking like he wouldn't look at the rim. He would be driving to pass like in that. I look at like a guy like obviously not the same caliber player, but like Dyson Daniels today, that's a huge limiter for him on his drives. Like you see the defense is kind of playing the pass. They're not going to send extra bodies. You're not denting the floor with Redick. I mean, just the spacing, the spacing he provides, the movement, the cuts, the all the off ball stuff. And then since he's a guard, especially during this time in the league, you can hide the defensive stuff. 
I think that like that fits on any team, you know what I mean? Um, and then once, you know, once the Hawks started to fully form, we, what did we find out about Josh Smith guy can't really shoot, but he's got like all these like, great athletic tools. Yeah. So, I mean, having shooting around him and Joe Johnson, more spacing, that's always a big plus. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go with Reddick. And I think also you get more, more like really impactful years from him. I think it's like, we kind of forget that Rondo really, uh, not fell off, but you know, he went from being like a fringe all-star player to like, you know, um, I don't even want to like a low average starter, like pretty, not pretty quickly, but you know, fairly quickly. Gotcha. So yeah. yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Reddick. Yeah. I don't know if, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, pr- I'm positive. You're not old enough to remember uh, 2006 college basketball, but M- Mike, do you remember the, the college season 2006 and yes. what was so unique about it? Do you remember, do you remember the two players that dominated uh, the national spotlight in, in two, in the NCAA in 2006? I do. JJ Reddick and Adam Morrison. Yeah. yeah. That's that, all that anybody would talk about. That's my co-host right there. Yeah. Dead on. Um, yeah, because this was it was really weird because they were the clearly the two best college basketball players. And they were also the two guys that everybody was just saying aloud. I don't know if either of these guys are gonna be good NBA players. Like they're gonna both get picked in the lottery, but these look like like the quintessential uh guy that peaks in college uh type players. And everyone was right on Adam Morrison. Um he just never he he never found a, a niche for himself in the NBA. Uh, JJ Redick, surprisingly enough, uh, found a very, had a very long, very successful career, uh, was never a star, but it, I, I thought it was interesting how he added a little bit, uh, to his game. He would just, what he wasn't just a spot up shooter. Like everyone thought he was going to be, he was coming off of screens. He was, he was, he was attacking the basket later on. He actually turned himself into a pretty decent defender, which I think shocked everybody. Uh, yeah. So, I, I'm actually look. I wasn't. This is not the player I would have picked for the Hawks, but I, I'm not going to lie. That kind of talked me into it because of the extra spacing, and because they, Josh Smith. You almost have to have four great shooters around Josh Smith, or even at his peak, or you're just your your ceiling is going to be the second round of the playoffs. So yeah, I, I think this might actually be a, be a good, um, or at least a very interesting uh, change, just to see how he. Uh, meshes with that Hawks core, uh, assuming everything else stays the same. I think he's about to make a horrible mistake if he takes this Raptors job. I mean, I, I don't get it with some of these guys. Like it, you, you get these great jobs in the media. He's good at it. He's good at what he does. I mean, we may not agree with everything that he says, but he gets a reaction. He gets ratings. He's good at what he does. I don't know why he would want to leave that. I, it's yeah, comfortable. I, it's, 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 it's a great schedule. He probably doesn't have to leave his, 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 uh, you know, his city where he lives. Uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand when guys do stuff like this. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan about how he kind of gaslighted everybody about Bob Cousy just because he, he seems to love to disrespect past generations of players for no reason, but I can't deny he is one of the, if not the most articulate uh, commentator talking about the league today. I can't, argue the man's intelligence he's clearly smart right um all right so the number six pick and this is where things get kind of wonky uh we've had a three-team trade with the the blazers the t-wolves and the celtics uh 
This pick originally belonged to the T-Wolves. It is going to Portland. So Portland back on the board uh, at number six. Uh, they've already got Paul Millsap. Uh, who who can I add on to that? And I, I, I see a very obvious one. A great fit at this point. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers select Rudy Gay. And... Yeah, I, I have nothing else to say about uh, Rudy Gay other than he was like he. I don't want to say he was the the quote unquote high potential guy in this draft, but he he was the maybe the biggest name I would say uh, in terms of just raw talent. Excellent, excellent wing. Uh, was never. It's weird because everyone expected him to be a star, and he was never a star, but he was always really good. <laughs> there's a reason for that. There's a reason why he's still in the league now, um, 17 years later, is because he's he's a professional. He comes in, he does his job, and there will always be a spot for those guys in the league. And in his prime, uh, he was a legit uh, upper echelon starting small forward. Uh, how he fits with this Blazers team, I think. I honestly think I don't know if he's a better fit than Nick Batum, but I think he's definitely a better player than Nick Batum. I would that prevent them from going out and getting Nick Batum uh, later on? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but I, I actually really like uh, the fit between him and Paul Millsap at the very least. Yeah, I like that. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a guy who um, I feel like Mike is going to not pick him. I'm going to pick him. And at that moment, I'm going to share that this guy is higher on my board than Rudy Gay. And you guys are going to get mad at me, but. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah, I'm really interested to see who that's going to be. (laughs) So the the second part of this uh, uh, trade is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who acquired pick number seven from the Celtics uh, for Theo Ratliff and Sebastian Telfair. I don't know if that was an intentional tank move or not. Uh, But, yeah, the the Celtics were – Danny Ainge was clearly not in love with this draft class. uh, But I don't know if I can trust his judgment (laughs) on on uh, trading out of the top 10 for Sebastian Telfair either. All right, so uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Mike, you are back on the board. All right. Oh, so the- you, this is your very last chance to save the Kevin Garnett era. Well, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to help him a lot here uh, because this man, when I look at the guy who is playing center for Kevin Garnett in his last year, uh, in minnesota the two guys uh, i i see i mean it's clearly it's this is why he left uh it's mark Matson. uh you may remember mark Matson from dancing at the uh lakers championship parade um really badly just gives white people a real bad name when it comes to dancing uh and then there's mark blunt who uh keith what's your favorite mark blunt moment I can tell you uh, right away. It's no, don't, the, don't. I'm just kidding. Don't tell me. No, I can tell you. It's, all right, all right. it's the opening night. Um, I'm pretty sure it was opening night, uh, 2006. Uh, he was playing for the Boston Celtics, and he hit a shot that everyone thought was going to win the game with less than a second left. Uh, it was over, like, Rasheed Wallace, I think, from, from the elbow. And everyone thought the game was over. I think there was, like, six or seven-tenths of a second left. And – and then the Pistons call timeout. Philip Saunders runs this great play to get Rip Hamilton open on the baseline, and he switches the shot to win the game. That was my favorite Mark Blunt moment. Oh, 
You thought I, you thought I wasn't going to give you an answer. I, you know, I'm not, better. A, I'm not at all surprised that you did. Uh, I am going to select uh, the man who went number one overall in this draft, Andrea okay. Bargnani. Uh, it's weird. He gets a weird rap. Like people go, "Oh, the Andre Bargnani draft." Like he's like he was bad. Like he wasn't bad. He was a pretty good player. Uh, he wasn't like I don't I don't know if he was number one overall quality player, but a lot of guys are. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not like he's Anthony Bennett or something. Like this guy was a pretty good player at, at his peak. He was twenty one points a game. Uh, you know, six rebounds. Like you know, you want a little bit more out of him. I think he'd be a lot better today than he was then, but he's still a decent player. Pair him up with Kevin Garnett. I think things are going to go well. Even if Garnett still decides to leave, you still have a guy that you could potentially have as your centerpiece for a little while. Uh, yeah, I, I I like this pick a lot for them. I just want to say um, that's kind of genius. Because, okay, so, no, no, here, here's... Tell me, me, tell me like, more about how smart I am. <laughs> my big, okay, Bargnani... <laughs> Barniani, Barney, Andrea Barniani. Um, by the way, I love that like era of Raptors basketball. That that team they had, that first round team, it was like him, Jason Capono, Chris Bosch, great yeah. jerseys, great vibes. No defense being played. Um, <laughs> he didn't last long. Yeah, yeah. So um, the thing is, like, yeah, he's kind of like this. Uh, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but you know, he's a little more modern offensively. His skill set. But my problem is that when your center is you know, as limited as he is defensively, it puts a lot of constraints on your team building. Yeah. But the thing is you're pairing him with the literal perfect guy on defense to be paired with. Like, so you give, you give Kevin Garnett more, I know we're going to use this word ad nauseum. You give him more spacing with this really skilled offensive player. And then Garnett is so good. He can anchor your defense. So like, I think that's, that's perfect. I don't, I think if he doesn't get picked here, like it's a steep drop. I would say so. That's like genius pick, Mike. I I actually had him. Oh, I had a couple guys on my board ahead of him, um, because I hadn't really thought of this possibility. Thank you. I I wasn't well, thinking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, space. You ever, I'll be, if you ever want to wind up, uh, Matt, ask him about Kevin Garnett. It is, I I, I could not listen to you talk about Kevin Garnett, uh, for for an hour because yeah, I think you make up so many great points. And I know you're higher on him than I am and probably anyone else uh, that's ever watched basketball. But I, it's hard for me to argue with because you're so, like, you make great points every time you talk about him. Speaking of Kevin Garnett, I just watched a really good Kevin Garnett doc on Showtime. Highly recommend if you have Showtime. If you don't, just get the free trial and then cancel afterwards. We're not sponsored by Showtime, so it's all good. Unless they want to sponsor us, we'll take your money. Showtime's a great product. Okay. Okay. So for the the number eight pick, which did belong to the Houston Rockets, uh, they traded out of it to the uh, Memphis Grizzlies in exchange for Shane uh, for Shane Battier. Uh, that's actually a pretty good deal. I, I I I probably would have made that one myself. All right. So Matt is on the board, uh, picking on behalf of the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, who are, yeah, they they they're coming off a playoff appearance. So they they've they've got Powell. They've got um. Uh, I think they still have Jason. No, they don't have Jason Williams. Uh, but anyways, they have Powell. I don't remember who else they have. Yeah, I remember this is like the the point of like uh, is it so the, the 2005-2016 they had like a top four defense in the NBA. I want to say, and then yeah. they 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 created they were the second best defense in the NBA, and they cratered a 29th 
this uh, this season after this draft um with pretty much i remember it was pretty much the same core of guys but they lost shane battier and i was like trying to do the calculus in my head i'm like shane battier really <laughs> important to their defense and it's just a different story for a different day but um this is something we talked about prior to the show that the this is a good example of it where like so there are when when a player is like in my opinion when a player is just in a higher tier like it's clearly this guy is just better than maybe this guy you you kind of throw fit out unless you're like in this really specific situation where like um like for example if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers this year you probably would take um I'm trying to think of a good example you probably take like Desmond Bain over John Morant just because like what you need right you have your your primary ball handlers you just need like you need this shooting you need this spacing like badly and and so um so we're not in that situation here right we're so we're I guess we're going to take the guy who kind of has probably fallen off the board who's a tier better than anybody else that's left I'm going to go with Rajon Rondo yeah uh, out of curiosity, where was Rajon on everybody's board? Uh, I would have taken him sixth. Yeah, top seven. Okay, six. Mike, was I, he on your board? Yeah, I actually thought about taking him with that Timberwolves pick, but I, I just thought Varjani okay. was a better fit. I, I I actually had Rajon fourth, but I ran into the same problem as you guys, where I just didn't like the fit. Excuse me, seventh. I would have had him. Sorry, sorry. Six was Reddick, I think. Right? Whatever. Yeah. It was. It was after Reddick. The one after Reddick. Yeah, it, it's really hard to argue with it, just how ridiculously skilled he was. Uh, he wasn't always the best teammate, wasn't always the best fit. Like, he crashed and burned hard in a lot of stops, but in, in the stops where he was in the right situation, he was he was just really, really, really good. Like, he had these unique skills, uh, like silver bullet skills, like you, you called them, where he was just better at it than everybody else, even though the entire floor, everyone in the gym knew he couldn't shoot. And he was still getting two feet in the paint. He was still getting defenses to to move around. He was still finding the open guy. It, yeah, I think the thing that annoyed uh, me about him is probably no different than you guys, the assist chasing. That he was like, he wasn't the very first guy that, that could be called selfish for chasing assists. He was just the first guy that was so obvious about it that everybody took notice. Uh, but it, look, he's in the right position. He, he proved multiple times he's a championship caliber player. Uh, I don't know how he, like you said, uh, the fit with the Grizzlies, you've got Powell, you've got Mike Miller. I, I'm sure he could make some chicken soup out of that. Uh, but yeah, I, he, he, you're you're right. He, he's clearly a tier above everybody else. Great, great, by the way, perimeter defender at his prime. Loved his team. Well, yeah, when he wanted to be, he was the way Bill Simmons called him. Like, there were two different Rondos there was primetime Rondo and there was regular Rondo. Yeah. One guy was the, usually the best player on the floor, the other guy usually didn't get, give a crap. Like, it, it was so, I oh, got it, was so true. All right. All right. So, the number nine, the Golden State Warriors, who are in the midst of a uh, 13 or 14 year playoff drought. It is really hard, I'm sure, for people 20 and under to believe that the Warriors used to be the worst front franchise in the league, but they truly were. Laughing stock. Yep. But it, it, this is, it's coming close to an end. They're about to be, they're about a year away from being relevant. And I, I just see the absolute perfect player on the board here. And he is also my highest rated player on the board. So I don't even need to think about it. 
Uh, from Texas, the the Warriors select uh, PJ Tucker. No, oh, I would uh, hope he would fall. PJ Tucker, one of the absolute uh, greatest glue guys, uh, maybe in the history of the league. I I think calling him the the best glue guy of his generation is almost selling him short because he is really does have a, a claim or an argument that for for all the uh, the the quote unquote role players that have ever won a championship, like he's one of the best ones. Just his ability to to defend, you know, up to the five, just at his size, and his ability to to space the floor, hit corner threes, just his overall toughness, his attitude. I, I always get a kick when people compare, um, like one of the common comparisons for Isaiah Stewart's um, future is to be a player like PJ Tucker. And the first reaction you always get is people, oh, well, it's just P.J. Tucker. What, what do you care? Well, if there's a reason why P.J. Tucker is still making millions of dollars in the league uh, in his 17th or 18th season, and every contender in the league wants him because there's only one P.J. Tucker. Like, everyone else is just trying to be like P.J. Tucker. Like, uh, go ahead. Literally five days, was it five days ago he saved the 76er season? It was literally yeah. five days ago when he yeah. yelled at jo- Joel Embiid. He got that rebound, yelled at Joel, like, he, yeah, you know, I everything you said, I I agree hundred percent. This was the obvious. Imagine what he would have done to Dirk in the in the two thousand eight. You know, for the Warriors, for that, for that, yeah, that quirky Warriors team that had uh, very. I don't want to say they had little skill, but they had little chemistry. But they had a lot of toughness, a lot of energy, and you know, calling them the We Believe Warriors is kind of a, it's kind of funny now, but it was actually very true because they. They had this, they were they are all irrational confidence guys. Like they all believed in them. Like PJ Tucker is almost the, the quintessential irrational confidence guy, just on the defensive end of the floor. And you shoot, you could transition him after that team breaks up. You could transition him. How how unbelievably valuable would he have been on those Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green Warriors teams? Like having him and Draymond Green on the on the same team. I mean, maybe if they have him, they don't pick Draymond Green. Who knows? But I don't know. I, I think that's fascinating. Like that, the Warriors are like the one contender that PJ Tucker hasn't played for yet. Next year. All right. <laughs> yeah. I got. How old is he at this point? He's got to be close. Thirty-eight. To, he just 30, turned thirty-eight. He's yeah. Close to forty, right? And he's still mm-hmm. getting primetime playoff minutes. I have so much respect for that guy. All right. Um, circling back around again for the second to last time, the the Seattle SuperSonics. Who only had another year uh, to be called the Seattle Supersonics, uh, they, but they still have Richard Lewis. They still have Ray Allen. Uh, they're, they're coming off a pretty successful playoff run. Uh, they are they are about to just fall apart. Is there is there anybody that you see on the board, uh, Mike, that could possibly uh, stem stem this uh, massive uh, just avalanche that they're about to slide down? Yes, there is. Well, no, I mean, like, yeah. Is there I mean, anyone that can keep them in Seattle? There, no, but there's a player that can play on this team until they leave and probably play in Oklahoma City as well. Uh, I'm going to take, uh, well, just looking at their point guard situation, they've got Randy Livingston and Earl Watson. Uh, not that great. I mean, these guys are, you know, not horrible point yeah. guards, but, but nobody I would trust the entire franchise with. Agreed. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with a guy who we actually talked about off air, uh, who is just, you want to talk about glue guys. 
You go back to the 2011 NBA Finals. This cat, I mean, he took over. J.J. Barea. Like, I remember my wife, that was like the only final series she ever watched with me. And she fell in love with this guy because he was running all over the place. Like, he, like he, there was nothing he couldn't do. He was afraid of no man. Uh, and, and I think that if given the chance, he could, he could lead an offense. And uh, I know, I mean, obviously there's a size issue, you know, that you have to contend with, but when, when you get a guy who gives this much effort, uh, I mean, you, 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 he'll break his back for you. You find a spot on, on your roster for a guy like him, much like you did with PJ Tucker. And uh, I think it'll pay off. I mean, he could do some special things. You know, it might be kind of like one of those situations where, like, you know, um, when a, a mother sees her child trapped underneath a car and, and she gets superhuman strength, that's kind of like how J.J. Barea gets sometimes. Uh, and I think that's what the Sonics could use for that last year that they're in Seattle before they moved to Oklahoma City. But yeah, J.J. Barea to the Seattle Supersonics slash Oklahoma City Thunder. Bring back the Sonics. <laughs> Is there a more fun um, 5'10 guard in the 2010s than J.J. Barea? At least for, for a backup. Like you can maybe, like Isaiah Thomas, maybe. But just J.J. Barea, how he would murder people in, in pick and rolls. It was just a work of art. And it was, you look at him, he doesn't even look like an NBA player, all due respect. Like if you just walk down the street, you would never think that that's a guy that made millions of dollars playing in the NBA, a guy that absolutely shredded the Lakers in a four-game sweep to the point where Andrew Bynum tried to murder him. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you remember that play or not. It was that yeah, at the end of game four when Andrew Bynum just tried to take him out with a forearm shiver, and he still made the shot, and Bynum got ejected. Um, but, yeah, it – it was kind of I don't I don't want to say he's like Mr. Maverick because obviously he's nowhere near their best player, but he was just because I know there was a period where he left um, Dallas, went to Minnesota, and he wasn't nearly as good, and then he came back to Dallas and he was good again. He, it was just one of those guys that was so intrinsically tied to a tied to a city, <laughs> tied to a franchise that for whatever reason he he was just magic in, in that one uniform. But yeah, I absolutely loved uh, JJ Barea. I don't know how you feel about it, Matt. Uh, his defense wasn't great, but just his, his ability to run a pick and roll, I could watch him run pick and rolls for 48 straight minutes. I'm going to wait to say what I have about J.J. Barea until I make my pick. It's, okay. It all ties together. Okay. Okay. All right. So, well, the good thing is you're up, you're, you're about to pick right now. Uh, the Orlando Magic, uh, they, they don't have a whole lot right now, but what they do have is Jameer Nelson and Dwight Howard. So... You you've got a bright future uh, ahead of you. Who are, who are we picking to complement this cast? Yeah. So, Mike, you know how I loved the Andrea Bargnani pick. I thought it was genius. Minnesota Timberwolves. Kevin Garnett. He's gonna straighten him out. Um, I'm mad at you for this one because I thought JJ oh. Brea would like I, he'd sneak into my little pause and he would be perfect <laughs> for what was going to come with Stan Van Gundy and the Orlando pit. The pace and space magic, the the spread pick and roll. Like, think about that. Uh, what was it, the two thousand nine run? Jameer Nelson gets hurt. You need a guy who can like mime his impact. It won't be perfect, but mime it. Who is a better mime for what Jameer Nelson did than JJ Barea? Like, he could have run the spread pick and roll until Jameer got back. 
Um, and then when he was back, he would have been like a nice, you know, bench guard, give you like 12, 15 minutes a game in a playoff series, let Jameer Nelson rest. That's hugely valuable. The size was an issue, but it's perfect with Orlando because you have Dwight Howard on the back line. And then we saw in Dallas that they could put J.J. Barea on LeBron James because they knew they had Tyson Chandler on the back line. And if you trust Tyson Chandler to do something like that, of course, Dwight freaking Howard in his prime, um, that would work. So I'm upset at you. I actually had J.J. Barea higher on my board than Bargnani because his limitations are easier to hide than Bargnani's. Um, I actually did too. Yeah. So now is where things start to get really ugly yeah. in our in our drafting. So I'm looking at this Orlando team, and what I'm thinking about is what really matters right now is what could have helped them beat the Lakers, giving them a better chance in the finals in 2009, I think is what you should be looking at this pick. And I'm – so they had a lot of shooting. They had a lot of spacing. Um, I think I can't get the big man I want to to – deal with the twin big man thing that the Lakers had going and hide Richard Lewis a little bit. But I can get another body to put on Kobe Bryant, eat up fouls, annoy him. Um, I think Dabo Cephalosha was a really good like isolation perimeter defender for that time. And I think his lack of shooting is minimized to a degree because of how much shooting they had around him and again he's just a guy who could annoy Kobe a little bit maybe take a couple points off of his efficiency muck up the offense just a little bit maybe who knows maybe that swings the series yeah it's kind of weird because uh, Tabo who who, by the way he was probably the last two guard in the league that was a starting two guard that everybody in the gym knew couldn't shoot and his team started him anyway Mm -hmm. (laughs) he his defense was that freaking good it's kind That's of That's valuable though, you know? Absolutely it is. I, I'm I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Um I what I think is interesting though, because I agree with you, uh Tabo, because Kobe was the guy that absolutely destroyed the match. Like Powell was a matchup problem, but Kobe just imposed his will uh, on Orlando. He he just destroyed. They had no shot uh the way he was dominating that series. And I, I think Tabo does help Orlando a little bit in that series. Problem is, I, I think he hurts them against Cleveland in the series before because they, they beat Cleveland by spacing the floor out around Dwight Howard and having four three-point shooters out there. And having time, I think, I don't, it's weird. I You you kind of have to trust uh, Stan Van Gundy to make the right decision and to take Tabo out of that, that Cavs series and insert him into the finals in, in the next round. I, I don't know. I'm curious to see if, if that would have played out that way. Because I I absolutely agree with you. Like Tabo is one of the few you could players like, on with you with could like Lonnie Walker him, you know, yeah. like how see what Ham did. He kinda it's just like another chess piece. I don't think I think S, SVG, he would have known to like, you know, he's just another little piece I can bring out maybe. I don't think he he's, you know, like an integral player per se. But like you said, like he did the fact that a coach, an NBA coach, was willing to start this guy in playoff games. I mean, yeah. you can't. I don't think you can say that about any other guy on this list. No, you, you absolutely. I I don't know if, who in the twenty tens was start was still starting at at, at the two in like 2015, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that couldn't shoot, and, and it was still for like a, a playoff a playoff team with a coach with championship aspirations was still running him out there because his defense was that good and that important. I, I think I think I think Tabo Safalosh is a a fascinating player. 
there because he's very much a throwback uh, from the last decade. All right, so up next, uh, the the New Orleans slash Oklahoma City Hornets, I guess we're still doing this uh, acronym. Uh, they're finally uh, on the board, and they acquired this pick from Milwaukee for Jamal McGlure. All right, so they, I know we've got Chris Paul. Uh, I don't know who else we have at this point. Do they have Tyson Chandler yet? No, I don't think they do. All right, so, God, who am I going to – there's just not a whole lot of great fits here. Like, there's a clear best player on my board, but I don't know if he's the best fit. You know what? What the hell? I'm going to do it anyway. It's Chris, because Chris Paul is going to make it work. Uh, once again, out of Villanova, uh, the Hornets select Randy Foy. Uh, Randy Foy, if you look up the word combo guard in the dictionary, there's probably a picture of Randy Foy. He was absolutely, like, from the beginning of his career to the end, you, you were still not sure if this man was a point guard. Uh, playing the two or, or two guard that was playing the point. It was, he, he had this, this mix of skills where he was not great at any one thing, but he was, he was pretty good at damn near everything. And how did, how does he fit with Chris Paul, who is as pure a point guard as you can get? I don't think the fit is great, but Chris Paul, especially in his prime, had a way of making players around him work. Doesn't matter. Didn't really matter who they were. And Randy Foy, to me at least, has the most talent of any prospect left on the board uh, so i am going to go with that and it's not like he had a great uh backcourt partner with the hornets anyway down the road i think it was morris peterson i think it was so i i don't think they're, they're losing anything uh significant there not a great 2k player for what it's worth <laughs> no, no no 2k did not know what to do with that man yeah not not great all right so <clears throat> the the chicago bulls uh, the, the 13th pick belonged to the Sixers. Uh, they traded down to the Chicago Bulls uh, for the 16th pick, which we won't mention. And and I think a set, they got a second rounder. Like, God, you're, you're trading down from 13 to 16 in the first round for, for, a, for a future second rounder. That's how much teams thought of this draft. Okay, so this is our last time uh, circling around. Uh, the 13th pick belongs essentially to the Chicago Bulls. Mike, who you got? All right. Well, you know, I like to always do something with my last pick of, of every draft. Uh, and you today, only draft Sheen Heal once. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, if I could do it again, I would do it. Uh, but I'm going to, today will be no different. I am going to be selecting uh, the 2006 Chevrolet Player of the Year. Uh, Mr. Adam Morrison will be joining the Chicago Bulls. Look, I mean, oh, Keith's leaving the room. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of mad at you, Mike. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of mad at you for doing that. No, look, guys, I don't understand. Okay, before he tears his ACL, which happens immediately in his career, he's not that bad. Like, he's averaging 12 points a game. Uh, you know, he's he's playing like a rookie, like he's 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 a decent player. He just couldn't get over that injury. And it just I mean, it clearly really affected him. And uh, he missed his entire second season. Charlotte just gives up on him, sends him to the Lakers. He's he helps them win a championship. That's right. Adam Morrison 
has a championship ring. Uh, yes, that's that's a fact. That is a fact. He has a championship ring, but like he just never found footing anywhere. I, I'm just saying the injury really affected him. If we're gonna give Brandon Roy a pass, which understandably that we would, because Brandon Roy is a significantly much better player, uh, the, I think we should give Adam Morrison a, a pass as well. Because I mean, we've drafted Jay Williams, uh, in the you know in in drafted like we just we do things sometimes, even though guys never work out. Uh, I, I'm drafting him off the potential that he showed in, at Gonzaga and that he showed early in his career. I think that, and, and in Chicago, he's not going to have to be the star or anything. You, you, you make it work. Adam Morrison to the Chicago Bulls. Okay. To be so, fair, he did have an entire rookie season under his belt before he tore his ACL. Right. All right. Um. Yeah. Again, this this is one of those quantum leap where like the butterfly effect, where maybe putting him on a different team, like the 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 Bobcats were a dumpster fire, and the Lakers didn't want to use him at all. He had, he did he does have a championship ring. Well, actually, he has a couple championship rings, uh, but I think he played a grand total of like three games in the playoffs, and it was like ten minutes. Uh, but yeah, he prime time ten. I, I, will, I will not argue that no, that that anybody gave him a chance because no one really did after he after his knee injury. The the Bobcats went in a different direction. They hired Larry Brown, who obviously had no interest in coaching Adam Morrison. So I I, I will give you that. I love Larry, but he shows up and he's like, "All right, everybody needs to leave." Well, that's kind of well. He 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 says that about himself a lot too. Uh, uh, that Larry, Larry was hold not on, happy. Hold on, Keith. Matt, are, are we okay? I know we're coming close to your six forty-five time. Are we? Oh yeah. yeah. Are we okay? Okay. Yeah. All right. No, I was just, I'm still in disdain from you uh, okay. Adam Morrison. Uh, okay, so well, you have you, you have the floor now as as a representative of the Utah Jazz. Uh, already with uh, Carlos. Uh, no, they don't have Carlos Boozer yet, do they? I know they have Darren Williams. I know they have Mehmet Kerr. They got. I think they get Boozer in free agency this yes. summer, don't they? Yeah, I think that. I think you're right. I think they do. I think so. I think they have those three already. The, the, so the shady, have a, shady Cleveland yeah. Cavaliers fiasco. Robbing a blind man. Um, but um, I just want to say that, for the record, if I had Mike's pick, I would have went with Steve Novak. I think that. I mean, just, you know, again, I'm going to use this last time. The spacing he provides. Ben Wallace can kind of clean up all his warts. Um, yeah, that's just me. I think, I don't know, man, Bulls drafted, if they got Brandon Roy and Steve Novak out of this draft, pretty solid, pretty solid heist, if you ask me. But I'm actually going to keep it the same as it played out in NBA history because the okay. Utah Jazz selected with their 14th pick, Ronnie Brewer. I really can't. I don't think the Novak thing works, especially because Okor is there. I think it's kind of redundant to have two bigger bodies like that that can shoot, that can't really defend that well. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Ronnie Brewer. Don't have much to say there. Yeah, and then the Utah Jazz had a lot of success with Ronnie Brewer. Like, mm-hmm. like, so I, I know we all try to be interesting on some of these picks, but sometimes you just have to be honest and say, okay, they made the right selection there, and there was no one else on the board that was a better like exactly. Yeah, the the Jazz just made the right pick there. Yeah, Ronnie Brewer, another one of those guys, kind of uh, a. I don't say a poor man's Tavo Cephalosha, but he was in the Tavo Cephalosha mold. Maybe not quite as 
as good as he was uh, defensively, but he was still really good. Uh, still a really good energy guy. Definitely could shoot a little bit better uh, than Tabo. All right. So back on the board, uh, again, I am representing the New Orleans, Oklahoma City Hornets who have traded uh, Jamal McGlure to the Milwaukee Bucks for this pick. And I think this is a hell of an interesting um, pick here for, for being the 15th pick because I see so many uh, players that I think are – Maybe they didn't have great careers, but I think maybe Chris Paul could get more out of them. And there is one clear answer here. The New Orleans slash Oklahoma City Hornets select uh, Tyrus Thomas. Uh, Tyrus Thomas, originally a top five pick. He's a guy that the uh, Chicago Bulls banked their future on, and he just was never that guy. Uh, Scott Skiles was very hard on him, a very hard-nosed coach. Uh, he he played in games, but he was just Skiles was just he was one of those Larry Brown mold types where if you were not ready to play, he didn't play you. Whether it didn't matter if you were a rookie that needed developing or not. And, but I'll tell you what: the one thing no one can argue about Tyrus Thomas is that he wasn't an incredible athlete. And what, especially for for being a a power forward, uh, tall, springy, what what better player to pair him with than Chris Paul? I, I'm just thinking of how Tyson Chandler, a lot of people, I don't want to say Tyson Chandler was seen as a bust when he left Chicago, but I think everyone felt that maybe he plateaued a little bit, that this is kind of a disappointing result for a guy that was a top three pick or a top five pick. And then he goes to the Hornets and then Chris Paul just, he showcases everything that he brings the best out of him. He showcases everything that Tyson Chandler could do. I'm thinking I, I'm willing to take a bet that he can do this with, Tyrus Thomas that he can pull out more of his potential I like that I think it's solid I mean the other guys I kind of um that were on my antenna of being well that would have been on my board like the honorable mentions they probably would have been redundant for that team just because Chris Paul was there I was like the guy the two guys that are I mean we had Novak we talked about but also like uh Booby Gibson Daniel Booby Gibson and Jordan Farmar but like I don't know how much how much you really want maybe he's like a backup for Paul, prefer Farm or over Gibson, but I guess that's just personal preference. Yeah, right, the, well, the, the other player that I was considering there was actually Shannon Brown because I thought, oh, that's had, a great call. The MSU Shannon Brown, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Shannon Brown just because he was set, he was never a great basketball player, he was just an incredible athlete. And to have him and Chris Paul on the break together, I thought that would have been fantastic too. But I had just taken a, a guard in Randy Foy, so I thought that would be a little bit redundant. Uh, adding Shannon Brown to the mix. I didn't think he would have a great opportunity there. But I just, yeah, I wanted to recognize Shannon Brown because there's a lot of scenarios this draft, draft, redraft could have played out where I would have picked him. Well, that'll, that'll wrap up that that portion yeah. of the uh, the lottery portion of the draft. Um, and But we do, out, as we do every, every redraft, we have a, a little bit of magic happening. The Pistons have traded up to the 16th pick. And yeah. we we each get to select a player that we think who's left on the board, who we think would be a best fit for for the Pistons. And uh, Matt, I'll let you go first since you're the guest. Uh, who do you think might fit this Pistons team? Who's left? All right. To to set the stage real quick, the Pistons are coming off the the most wins they've ever had, sixty four. They lost in the conference finals. Uh, they are about to lose Ben Wallace in free agency. 
but they are still going to keep the rest of that cast intact. Um. See, I know, like, I know what happens to the their interior defense after Ben Wallace leaves, but you can't. I don't think you're gonna find somebody. Maybe Leon Poe is like another body you could put down there. Um, I don't think you're fine. So like, the other thing that always like uh, it uh, kind of was something plaguing the team over the years. They just never had like a secondary on-ball creator after Billups and so a tertiary, I guess he'd be after right. Billups and Prince. And even Prince was limited as an on-ball creator. So I guess you could maybe you could squeeze some juice out of Jordan Farmar. I want to say. I guess. Mike, you got anybody? I do. I'm okay. going to go. I'm going with Booby Gibson. Uh, I'm serious. I'm going with Booby Gibson. Uh, I, no, I think this is secretly genius, but I'm going to let you continue. <laughs> I just think that this guy was a lot better than anybody ever gave him a chance to be. Uh, he played with LeBron for most of his career. And I mean, LeBron's taking the ball out. LeBron's running that entire offense. I just think that. But when Booby got shots, he was he was a pretty decent player. And in Detroit, he's going to have a chance to to be under the tutelage of Chauncey Billups and, and Lindsey Hunter. But these guys are both going to move on soon, and it's going to be it's going to be Booby's chance to to be a, a starter. I, I mean, I just I really like the idea of of what the Pistons could potentially do with him. Okay, so I think this this pick may actually have sent the Pistons to the NBA Finals. Booby Gibson to the, uh, sending him to the finals. I, I think it is that good uh, because there, there there is a reason why you like him so much is because you like me have memories of him uh, scoring thirty one points uh, in the elimination game, <laughs> game six against the Pistons, a yeah. performance that he never came close to duplicating ever again in his career because Booby was not nearly as good as he looked in that Pistons series. It was just he had it was the series of his life and we all had to deal with it. Uh, but, but without Booby Gibson, I am much more confident in the Pistons uh, competing in, in that series uh, because LeBron was not that good in that game six. He, he kind of left it all out of there in game five. And Booby just for whatever reason, Booby Gibson of all people eliminates the Pistons in game six of the 07 conference finals. So I, I am I, I'm not even going to pick here. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with Daniel Gibson and I am going to. <laughs> Nailed. I, Mike, this is probably the best, secretly the best pick that you've made. I, I congratulate you. I'm partial to the Barniani pick, but that is, I mean, I hadn't thought about that. Um, my guess is, like, I remember when I rewatched that ser- some of that series this summer. Who just, I mean, they were they were helping off of Gibson to they were daring Gibson to to beat them, and and he beat them because they were trying to pack the paint, make sure LeBron couldn't couldn't beat them in the paint because they didn't have the bodies they used to have. LeBron's like, cool, I'll just kick it out to Booby Gibson, who apparently can't miss anymore. So I wonder who that guy would have been instead. Would have been uh Sasha, no, Sasha Pavlich. Um, so who knows? But yeah. Yeah, but it, everyone forgets how how like LeBron did not have a great you know what he shot after the game after that 49 point masterpiece at the palace? He was three for eleven in game six. Uh, just an utterly pedestrian performance. Uh, 20 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists, which for, for LeBron is pedestrian. Uh, but yeah, he didn't. He he was not much of a factor offensively. Uh, like you said, Matt, they were they were just double teaming him all over the place. But the the point is, a lot of teams asked forced Booby Gibson to to beat them, and they didn't. 
the pit the one time the Pistons do, he scores 31 points. Uh, but yeah, this is this will be our the only time we ever talk about Booby Gibson again. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap up today's episode of the uh, 2006 NBA redraft. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate Uh, it. Please uh, take this time to plug anything you've got going on. Uh, You know, take this time. This is all you plug your socials. Let everybody know where they can find you. Um, Follow me. uh, Just follow me on Twitter at mattisa15 at m-a-t-i-s-s-a-15 but i'm actually going to use this this couple seconds of fame just to plug one take i have that just came to me i wanted to share with you guys earlier but i can remember isn't jose alvarado kind of shaping up to have a jj barea-esque career but on the defensive side of the ball i i am I'll, interested I'll, yeah no yeah. no i i get it i get it um God, I'm gonna sit on that one for a minute because he. I'm looked, leaving you guys with that. You don't need to. Yeah. You don't need wow. to just break no, your friends. No, no that one's no. That one's actually gonna sit uh, with me for a little while because that's. I think that's a very interesting question because they they are very similar, just on the opposite ends of the floor. All right. Yeah, that's break our brains and leave. Okay, got it. Uh, so we will see you guys next week. Keith, are we doing it? Are we doing what we talked about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not? Next week we're we're going back to Pistons players. I know we've taken a little break off of covering strictly Pistons players, but next week we are doing John Spider Sally, and I can't wait to talk about all the trips he went on after he left Detroit. It's going to be a lot of fun to count them all out. We'll see you guys then.